0: This has been a a week and a half in our city, in our country now, of incredible emotions and depth of feeling, and I was reminded earlier today about a passage in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, where the Lord is speaking to a group of people about loving and living out the reality of Christ, and he says this, He has shown you, O man, what the Lord desires of you, but to love justice and to do mercy and to walk humbly with God. And you think about that. You, You love justice and you pursue mercy and you walk humbly. And you think, how in the world can you love justice in an unjust world and pursue mercy and walk humbly with God? And the answer is, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our prayer every day is, come Holy Spirit enable us to be the people we have called us to be. And so we've been going through this study uh, which talks about the fact that uh, we are to walk in clarity, and as we walk in clarity, biblical clarity, we have a sense of unity in the Lord that leads to charity in our relationships with one another. The key verse has been Hebrews 10, verse 23, which comes on the hills of a great exposition of the glory of Christ, and it says this, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So because God is faithful, he's called us to be faithful. We're to be forever faithful, and we're going through Hebrews chapter 12 and Hebrews 12, One, it says, I I beseech you, I appeal to you, I plead with you by the tender mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is... Pleasing to God and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds as you remember the tender mercies. And as you remember the tender mercies, you'll be able to discern the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect and complete and whole and glorious. And it's wonderful. And as you discern the will of God, you won't think of yourself too highly. In fact, you'll think of yourself with, with biblical sobriety. And as you are transformed, as you consider the tender mercies, and as you think rightly, as you're being transformed, Then verses four through eight, you will use your spiritual gifts to the glory of God because you'll understand that all of life is stewardship. And and then he starts in verse nine by giving us in five verses 13 exhortations. 13 exhortations in, in five verses. And we're going to look at verse nine this morning, as far as we can get. He says this Let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Let your love be genuine, which means to be without play acting or hypocrisy. Love is foremost. Through the Spirit, love is mentioned first. In John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this love, all men will know that you are my disciples. What's so the mark of a Christian? Love. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says this. There you go. 1 Peter 1, 5. 1 Peter 1, 5 says, The aim of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. And then, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 Says, well, this little point and click is not working like it should. Technology is not what it's cranked up to be. Okay. It says, having purified your souls by sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable says, It says, fervently or sincerely or, or with, with great passion, love one another from the heart. So listen, I you to hear this love. So, so Love, unless it has objective standards, will devolve into mere personal subjective sentimentality. So here's a definition for love. I want you to try out. Love is doing that which is best for someone else and living all of our life in light of eternity. Love is living all of our life in light of eternity. So love is the overflow of the contemplation of the tender mercies of God. Love is the overflow of the worship of God. Doing that which is best for someone else in light of eternity. This book, The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, I brought it up here to show you that these are not thick books, but they're powerful books. This is what Lewis says. He's commenting on the passage in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate, it's a strong statement. It's like, Wow. He says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone does not take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. You say, well, hate? And Lewis, this this is a great book. This is, I read this book frequently. And it's it's a book about the four loves, which is the the love of, of affection, brotherly love, physical love, eros, and then Christian love, agape. Or he says agape. This is what he writes. To hate is to reject, to set one's face against, to make no concession to the beloved, husband, wife, children, best friend, whatever, when the beloved utters however sweetly and however pitifully, the suggestions of the devil. A man, Peter, said to Jesus, or Jesus says, whoever tries to serve two masters will hate the one and love the other. And he says this. So in the last resort, we must turn down or disqualify our nearest and dearest when they come between us and our obedience to God. Heaven knows it will seem to them sufficiently like hatred, but we must not act on the pity we feel. We must be blind to tears and deaf to pleadings. Now, what he says is this: He says, unless we have a standard for love, it will never work. And he says this: He says glory, the glory of the natural loves, lies in the outpoured love of Christ in their lives. Sometimes when I do a wedding. I did one yesterday, and this is is a text I used. I says, 1 Corinthians 3 says that there's no foundation for the Christian except Jesus Christ. That's it. And, And some people come along, and Paul says they build on that foundation with wood, hay, and straw. And on the day of judgment, it is burned up, and they escape as if through the flames because they did not build wisely. Other people build with gold, silver, and costly stones. And it stands strong on the day of judgment. I said, now, that relates to life, it relates to families, it relates to marriages. I says your marriage must be built on the reality of Christ. You see, because the glory of Christ and the goodness of Christ waters and nourishes and is the fertilizer to every other love we have. That's what the Bible says. So, so Christ must always be preeminent in my life. It must be the ultimate standard. So love is doing what is best for other people in light of eternity. Now I'm to take a side road, deal with this a little bit. So on Friday, the Supreme Court voted 5-4 to four to make same-sex marriage the law of the land. It's interesting. I'm just going to make a few comments. Judge Samuel Alito, one of the Supreme Court justices who was in the minority, said this. Today's decision will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. Close quote. And then it goes on and says, in particular, Alito objected to the comparison between bans on same-sex marriage and bans on interracial marriage that were widespread before being overturned by the court in 1967. Quote, the implications of this analogy will be exploited by those who are determined to stamp out every vestige of dissent in our country, close quote. So just a few comments. Number one, we need to be people who know how to articulate a Christian view of true sexuality, a view that will be increasingly countercultural from this point on. That's what Russell Moore said from the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Life Commission. So, so we must speak with informed minds, gracious lips, and speak with dignity to men and women made in the image of God. Number two, to quote Alito. There is a new orthodoxy among us. It is now the law of the land. It's interesting. A newspaper in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, entitled The Pen Live and Patriot News, had this st- statement yesterday. This is from the, the man who runs the editorial page of the newspaper. As a result of Friday's ruling, The Pen Live slash Patriot News will no longer accept, nor will it print op-eds and letters to the editor in opposition to same-sex marriage. And later he tweeted this. This is very interesting. On his personal tweet, he said, This is not a hard decision. We would not print racist, sexist, or anti-Semitic letters. So to that list, we now add homophobic ones. It was really a pretty simple decision," close quote, John Michael, editorial page editor. Just hear that. Just hear the waves coming. Just just hear it. Number 3. Truth is not a five to four vote. Truth flows from the character of God. The Baptist faith and message says that all Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of God supreme in our own lives and in human society, close quote. We're under obligation. We speak with dignity and love and respect what we speak. So I was thinking about this the last two days. It's just, of course, been on my mind, just been on your minds, I know. But I I was thinking about in in the history of the church, uh, this whole issue Church and state has been the forefront of, of almost every major issue in the church since the Reformation at least. And I thought, you know, that, listen listen to what the Bible says about, about government. First Peter 2, 13 to 17, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent to him by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So be subject. Occupational forces be subject to them. So, first so Timothy two, pray for those who are in authority. So we pray for them. We, we are subject. Hebrews thirteen. Let me. Actually, I, I say this. I know the answer. But, but do you pay your taxes with joy? You should. And I repent that I don't. But I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm saying I'm I'm standing the authority of the Bible, not giving you a personal example. listen to, listen to Romans thirteen. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governed authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God's sovereign. He's king. He's given us government. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Our our judicial system, when they stand for good things, carry out the judgment of God. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. And so you read that, and, and yet you, you understand in the context of Scripture that, that leaders are there to applaud good and to punish evil. And so you've got this tender balance. And you go to Acts 5, 29, where Peter's told, don't preach about Jesus anymore, and he says, we must obey God and not man. So, so Christians, throughout history, when the leaders pursue justice and loving kindness and walk humbly and, and do the right thing under the authority of Scripture are, are the best citizens. But there comes a point where we say, as citizens, we must obey God and not man. And so truth does not come from five justices, no matter how gifted they are, and they are gifted, truth comes From the throne of God. I look around this room. I look in the gym. We're not seditious rabble-rousers, incendiary firebrands. We're just common people. Whose hearts have been captivated by the goodness of God. By the majesty of the cross. And so we say with the apostles of old, we will give honor to whom honor is due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Respect to whom respect is due. But in the final analysis, we must obey God, and not man. Number four. People have said to me in the last few months, as we've really thought this was coming, are you fearful of losing your religious liberties? Are you fearful of using, losing taxes and status? Are you fearful of being mandated to perform same-sex marriages? Or yeah. And my answer is, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> if you read the dissenting votes from Friday, the four dissenting justice, justices are fearful that we're losing our religious liberties. Very interesting. But they aren't concerned. Justices Roberts, Alito, Thomas, and Scalia are concerned. But I go back to my definition: love is doing that which is right in light of eternity. That's it. Love has standards. I go back to Matthew 11, where Jesus says, and this is one of my favorite passages are not two sparrows sold for a penny, not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father's knowledge. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Take heart, therefore, be of good courage. You're worth more than many sparrows. So I look at this and I say, as a pastor, that God is sovereign God is king sometimes revival comes when the sky is darkest but, but our, our responsibility is to just to love justice to pursue mercy and to walk humbly with God that's our responsibility our responsibility is to live in light of eternity our responsibility is to stand under the authority of God's revelation that's who we are I, I do believe church that it's going to take enormous courage to live for Christ in the coming decades. I believe that. I believe that people will be marginalized and the new orthodoxy, again, will militate against that. Um, So we should pray earnestly for the next generation of leaders uh, and pray without ceasing. Yesterday was our 35th wedding anniversary, and somebody said to me, now for the next 35 years, I'm not going to make 35 more years. There's no way. You know, I I would love to be married to Sarah 300 years. That's not the issue, but I'm going to be dead. I'm I'm pretty sure I'll be dead in 35 years. Yeah, I'll be dead. (laughs) I want to go to heaven. I I don't want to. Hanging out too long. Just anyway. So I'm going to be dead, gone, forgotten soon. But and let me tell you, thirty-five minutes. You you young people just say, "Oh, here we go again." Thirty-five years is like that. Boom. We got married yesterday. Boom. And moved to Normal Street in Denton, Texas. Normal Street then we came here in view of a column and stayed on Molasses Lane, on the good ship Lollipop. I mean, all these names, man. But anyway, you, you, you think about that. You think, 30, boom, it's gone. So, so I, I think about tomorrow's leaders just from our, our, our church. I think of Leland Brown and Van Barnhill and Matt Reagan is going to be reading our campus outreach ministry and, 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 and Danny Beach. And I think these are the guys who are going to be standing in the gap. Pray for them. Pray for those under them. So, so back to the text. Now, for for love to be pure and save from hypocrisy or play acting, it must be experienced. Some transition out there. It must be experienced. Um, See, let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has has two major coat hangers that they hang their coats on. First of all, hypocrisy is outward. It's only concerned with the outward. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, you guys, you guys clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of decay. I mean, you, you, you look good. You've got the prayer robes and the phylacteries and you've got everything going on, but it's just, it's just concerned with the outside of the cup and, so you go to the sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, it says, when you pray, don't disfigure your face, or when you fast, don't act like you're hurting, and, and when you give, don't let it be seen of men as you drop in your money at the exchange, but you, you do what you do in such a way that really primarily your Father in heaven sees you, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So, so hypocrisy is really about the outward appearance almost exclusively. The other thing about hypocrisy is that the other coat coat hangers is quick to find fault with others while giving yourself a pass. And boy, I'm good at this. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye When there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He says, Yeah, there's a speck in your brother's eye. We're all sinners. And sometimes. You've got to go to your brother and get the speck out. But first, get the two-by-four that's protruding from your eye. So you see, hi- hypocrites are, are quick to condemn sin in other people while we give ourselves a pass. So that, that's hypocrisy. But my, 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 my statement is this, though. Love must be experienced. We've got to taste and see the supremacy and the goodness of Christ before we can walk in love. That's the whole route of Romans 12, 1. We've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. First Peter chapter 2 says this, verse 1 get rid of all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so you can grow in your salvation. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, church, I ask you this, I ask myself, are you tasting the goodness of Christ? Do you taste and see that He is good? I thought I was thinking Psalm 103, where the psalmist just rehearses the goodness of God. Psalm 103: Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. To me, that's a rehearsal for worship. He's saying to himself, so do not forget the glorious goodness of God. Do not forget that your sins are forgiven. Do not forget that he's healed all your diseases. He watches over you. Do not forget that that he's, he's redeemed you from despair and destruction and the pit that he crowns you with tender kindness and loving compassion, that he satisfies you with good things. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you tasting? Are you worshiping at the overflow of the tender mercies of God? This other Lewis book, This is Letters to Malcolm. I thought, said that, I just wish that one day in my life I could write for one hour like C.S. Lewis. I just love the way he writes. So he's talking about, let me just read it. People speak of nature, he says. But I was learning the far more secret doctrine that pleasures are shafts of the glory as it strikes our sensibility. I'm going to read that. Pleasure, all pleasures, are shafts of glory, the glory of God, as it strikes our sensibility. He says, since that day that I understood that, I have tried to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I, I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. I mean adoring. We can't, or he says, I can't, hear the song of a bird simply as a sound. The sweet air whispers of the country from whence it blows. It is a message. We know we're being touched by a finger of that right hand at which there are pleasures forevermore, the finger of God. There need be no question of thanks or praise as a separate event. Something done here afterwards to experience this tiny outpouring or theophany of God is itself to adore him. Now, what he's saying is you can't listen to a, a bird sing and say, well, that is, that is, a, um, that is a robin. He's sing at three decibels. It has a melodious line of eight notes. Their migration pattern is from Virginia to southern Georgia. They nest in our trees here these months out of the year. No, no, he says that, 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 that's not the way you experience the song of a robin. You experience the song of a robin by going, Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? You don't stand before David's or Michelangelo's David and say, Some people do, man, that's a big block of marble. So you stand there and you go, oh my soul, how in the world did a man with a hammer and a chisel do something as magnificent as this in 15 and 60, and I cannot drive a nail. (laughs) You, you, you you, You don't watch a sunset. And talk about the scientific background. That's, that's okay. But when, when, if you really want to experience a sunset, you sit and you go, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You don't stand before a magnificent painting and say, oh, there's reds and there's yellows and there's some abstractions. You, you just go, unbelievable. Now, that's what I'm saying. Are, are you being satisfied by the greatness of God? Is there a wow effect in your life? You see, it's the overflow of the tender mercies. If love's going to be genuine, it's got to be the overflow of the tender mercies. There's an old hymn that Lewis had probably never heard or thought of in his Anglican tradition, but I heard when I first became a believer. It was written in 1870. It says, heaven above is softer blue, earth blue. Around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow and flowers with deeper beauty shine, since I know as now I know, I am His and He is mine. I love that. The birds sing sweeter, flowers have a deeper purple. There, there's, a more, there's more glory in the sunset because I know that everything around me was made by Jesus and for Jesus and through Jesus. And they are all emanations of his glory and goodness and mercy. And so I I say, am I I tasting and seeing the glory of God? There's There's a statement, a quote in the bulletin. A quote in the bulletin, thank you. From a guy named Thomas Chalmers. This is what Thomas Chalmers says. It's an incredible statement. He says, We cannot choose what we love, but we always love what seems desirable to us. Just stop there. We, we, we don't choose what we love, but we love what, we, what seems desirable to us. Thus, we can only change what we love when something proves itself to be more desirable to us than that which we already love. I will always love sin and the world until I truly sense that Jesus is better. I, I will Always love sin in the world until I perceive that Jesus is better. He wrote this. His, he was a mathematician, pastor, and he was sick in Scotland for, for weeks, and he started reading his Bible and discovered the grace of Christ, and he wrote this stuff. He says, you'll, you'll, you'll only love that which you perceive to be the grace. And What I'm saying is we've got to perceive and understand and glory in the goodness and, and the reality and the mercy of God. Are you experiencing the wonder of Christ Are you meditating upon the forgiveness of sins by the cross? We do the right thing. But see, as you do the right thing, you plead, come Holy Spirit. That's what I'm saying. Let me taste and see the goodness of God and change me. 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Those are feeling words. Have, have have sympathy, have tender hearts be empathetic, be caring and so our, our prayers is Lord let me see the glory and the goodness and the majesty of Jesus Christ let me see and that's a daily prayer there, there's a man named George Mueller that I like and respect and care for a lot. When I first became a Christian, I was given a book entitled George Mueller of Bristol. He was a man of prayer, a man who ran an orphanage in England, a, a wonderful man. I, I, I loved him. But there's a, there's a statement that is bannered about that George Mueller made. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, explain this statement to me because it does not fit into other things that he said. This is what he said. Someone asked him one day, What's the secret of the Christian life? And he said, Well, The secret of the Christian life is this. There there was a day when I died to George Mueller. I died, here it is, to his opinions, his preferences, his taste, his will. I died to the world. I died to its approval or censure. I died to the approval or the blame of even my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's not my experience. I don't think it was Paul's experience. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die what? Every day. My personal, I, I don't think there comes a, a point in the life of 99.999% of the people I've ever met who say, well, I had this experience, and from this point forward, I never struggled with being informed of the world. I never struggled with the opinions of people. I wished, in God's kindness, I didn't struggle over the opinion of approval or disapproval of people. It slays me, and I hate it about myself. I think every day you get up and you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Every day you get up and you say, God, I'm going to rehearse and remember the tender mercies of the cross, the tender mercies of the outpoured spirit, the tender mercies of the interceding Christ, the tender mercies of all that you've done for me, and I am going to walk in newness of life by the power that you bring, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You do it every morning, every day, every, maybe every hour of every day, but you cry out to God, God, have mercy. It is an ongoing commitment of putting yourself to death and living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Have you tasted the goodness of God? Do you understand and glory and sing about the tender mercies of the cross? If you are, I do believe that your love will be without hypocrisy. If you're doing that, I believe that. I believe that we'll see that, I was gonna, that, that you will abhor that which is evil and you will cling to what is good as you do that. May God give us the grace to live that way. Now, please be in prayer for our city. Thanks be to God for what the Lord is doing here among us. Uh, Sunday night, I went to the bridge, and they've needed 4,000 people to go across this expanse. I think there were twenty to 25,000 people there. It was unbelievable. It's been a glorious time to walk through a horrific tragedy with people who are linking arms. Th- thanks be to God. Do not miss the opportunity of just asking questions, such as you can say to people, you know, the people this Emmanuel AME Church, what incredible people, have talked about forgiveness because of the work of Christ on the cross. What does that mean to you? Just, just ask that. Just, what, what do you think about that? I don't know what do you think? Can you tell me. Well, I believe that the Bible teaches that God so loved the world that He gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will have life everlasting and will not be judged. Well, that's good news and that's I've understood that and I mean it's just you just plant these seeds, just just say things to people. Can you believe they're forgiving? Oh, I can't believe it. Do you know why they say they can be forgiving? I kind of missed that. Well, here's why they say that. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I had a conversation with a guy at a taco stand the other day in North Carolina. Very interesting. Don't miss the opportunity. Thanks be to God for his goodness. The church, all this has happened, we're in the middle of a Make You Aware campaign of a Build and Expansion program. Uh, the Build and Expansion program that we're seeking to undertake involves a new sanctuary, involves giving our contemporary worshipers a permanent place to worship that is acoustically sound and, 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 and will give them a worship experience as far as the ambiance. It includes offices and classrooms, and if we can raise the money, it includes a welcome center common area that will join the buildings right back here. We think that's good. The elders have voted for it. You've voted for it. But the caveat is we've got to raise the money to do that because we don't want to exceed this much in debt. So to, to that end, we're asking everyone to participate in this campaign. Uh, right now, we're at, as of a week and a half ago, we're at 36%. We were at something like 20%. Now we're at 36% of those who are worshipers, who are participating in this. We want it to be 100%. Whatever it is, we want everyone to say we want to go forward. We want to have a place where the the Scripture is preached, Christ is worshiped, men and women and boys and girls are sharpened to go out and, and, and to make a statement for Christ and our culture. That's what we need. That's who we need to be. So hear that. There are cards for commitment. We're going to be taking now until early October, but we want you to be praying and thinking about it. We want to hold that before you and let you be fully informed and aware of what we're trying to do. New worship center, a contemporary worship facility, a common area where we can meet and have ministry and fellowship, um, classrooms. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. It's time for us I think to go forward in this. So know that also we're taking up a love offering for the families of the victims at Emmanuel Church. There are boxes all over this building where we'll be taking them up for the next two weeks. So put your love offering into that. Well, thank you for your attention, your kindness. Let's, let's pray, okay? Mm. Uh, Lord, we are people... Who were' just simple worshipers of Christ, who open the book and try to discern your will as we read it in solidarity with brothers and sisters from the past and the present, and we're, we're people who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to understand the scripture and we've been called to walk in humility and to speak with grace and care and dignity, and I I pray we would do that in in so many areas. Uh, Lord, take us and use us. Uh, Holy Spirit, let us see and experience and know the wonder of the cross. Please. Let us see scores and scores of young people nurtured and raised with a Christian world and life view that will, who will go out into academics and law and medicine and auto mechanics and accounting and teaching and homemaking and coaching armed with the glorious reality of Christ. Uh, God have mercy upon us. And to, to that end, use every ministry of this church, whether it's Vacation Bible School that we just celebrated a few minutes ago or whether it's building programs and... Age to age ministries, our school, everything we do. Use that to sharpen men and women and to give them a Christian world and life view as it springs from a heart that worships you and your triune glory. Help us this day not to just look at a sunset, but to see it as a shaft or a beam of the glory of God. To not eat the meal as that only which nourishes us, but to taste the, the, the realities of, of delicious food that you have given. And it's is just a gift from God. Let us turn every activity into an act of adoration, laughter, the embrace of a child. Uh, so Lord, use us. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.